and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. It's great to be in the flesh. Hi to everyone online as well. If we haven't met before, my name is Graham. Rebecca and I are the lead pastors here. We get to oversee all the locations and um, help our wonderful location pastors who are just absolute legends. Jared and Alicia are not only the um, coolest looking couple, they have genuine character and uh, muscles. And I'll get you to try and think about which one I'm talking about. And it's nice to be, nice that all the rules got changed during the week. How good is that? Man, far out. Only about a year too late, but um, fantastic. And <laughs> I'm joking. There was no laughter at that. But anyway, uh, we did get put in lockdown and then we got released out of lockdown. But the good thing is everyone is well in our house. So that's fantastic as well. Uh, I want to talk about, I talked about silence and solitude last Sunday and um, it was a good time. It's on YouTube. I w- I'm going to deviate from the topic of silence um, this morning. And so if you're really wanting to suss out what we're talking about, you can YouTube it. Um, it is worth a watch. Um, there's interestingly a lot of science and spirituality around the concept of uh, silence. Um, if you've got lots of children, you would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> they used to say silence is golden. Man, I did grow up in an era where they used to say Kids are to be seen and not heard. I was right on the tail end of that. And uh, if you told a kid that today, they'd just, you'd hear something, all right? Probably stuff off or something like that. <laughs> but uh, it is uh, definitely uh, something worth considering. Um, yeah. So what we're up to at church is we are following Jesus. We said that we'd spend about two or three years. We're going to work out which one it is as we go. Trying to understand what it actually means to follow him. Because you can actually be, it's possible to be a cultural Christian, but not a disciple of Jesus. And that is a huge, huge challenge. Jesus actually said, come follow me. He didn't say, please join religious groups. He said, come follow me. And I I don't know if you try to actually follow Jesus. It actually requires thought. You actually have to think about this thing. It's not not a default uh, mode, and it wasn't for the disciples either. So we're spending about two or three years just talking about following Jesus and this I think it's been most of this year, eh, Jared? We've just been talking about practicing the way, that the way of Jesus, and where it it comes into is basically that the way Jesus lived was so intentional. We've come up with 12 practices. I think, are we halfway through, Jared? Why do I keep asking you? I don't even know. You're not even looking at me. Where are we? Great. So we're halfway through. I I don't know what I'm referencing. I don't even know where I am. So... Uh, and silence and solitude was a practice of Jesus. So here's the topic for today. You ready for it? I want to talk about the plentiful soul. The plentiful soul. Yesterday I took Judah into town and uh, went and got a haircut. Thank you. Uh, and he went for a wander around. Judah's our youngest of um, 15 children. And so he's, he's, he's had a different childhood, no doubt about it. So I gave him some money. Don't tell the others. I never do that. I'm always like, you earn it or you have nothing. But, but he got some cash and he was quite excited about it. So while I went and got a haircut. So he went around and he bought a couple of things that only 12-year-olds would buy. Squishy things that have glowing stuff. And I'm like, you're not five, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, so he told me, after he came back, I met him after the haircut. I said, what have you been up to? He goes, Dad, I've got a story for you. 
said, okay. He goes, I, I bought this and this and this, and then I had a little bit of money left over. And he actually saw someone who was seemed to him homeless that was sitting on the side of the path with a hat wanting money. And so he saw him up the street and he thought, I'm going to give the rest of this money to this homeless guy. He bought these ridiculous stuff, this stuff, and then he's going to give this money. So as he's walking up um, to do this, the guy's over in the distance. Another individual has had the same idea and pulled out like a note, put a note in the guy's hat and walked off. Judah is about to reach the man, about to give him the money, when he stands up abruptly, grabs the hat, and walks straight to a Ford Ranger, a late model Ford Ranger, parked right beside where he was begging, hops in with the keys and drives off. So Judah is like, what do you reckon about that, Dad? And I said, you, road user keys are still a problem, Judah. I mean, seriously, we have no right. Diesel drivers should not be paying it. It's only the commercial. And anyway, so I said, what did you do next? And he goes, I went to the dairy and bought some lollies. I said, yes. <laughs> the Lord rewarded you. <laughs> um, anyway, it's such a great story. So, um, and, and that's, um, that's Ayin Tovar, what I talked about three weeks ago. Ayin Tovar is what Jesus, that was the Hebrew word he used, the, the concept when he said that the good eye brings in light. Now, the good eye basically means in Matthew 6, a generous eye. That's what ayin tovah means. And I heard a lot of you speaking Hebrew after that week, so good on you. I see you've left it again. And he said, but ayin re'ah, which is actually a bad eye, translates to what? A stingy eye brings in darkness. And so that was the teaching about three weeks ago, that actually with a generous eye, we are more like God, because what? God has a generous eye towards us. But the reason I raise it again three weeks later is, it is absolutely impossible to have a good eye if you have not a good soul. <laughs> it's, it's just not doable. To have a good eye, you, you require to have, you're required to have a plentiful soul. That generosity has to flow out of somewhere, doesn't it? You know, it's actually got to come from some source. So I want you to look at this verse, and I know that I'm not reading it at a funeral. I'm not even sure if you can anymore read this outside of a funeral, but it goes like this. And I'm going to read it in reverse because you know it so well. It's Psalm 23 in reverse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life as I'm dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me says this, that you make me lie down in green pastures, you lead me beside still waters, you restore my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's in reverse. I love David, I love the Psalms, and this is an all-round amazing guy. He's a warrior, he can fight a bear, bear-handed. He can fight a lion, just club it to death. Like this guy, man, this guy is like, seriously, like who is this guy? And then in his downtime, do you know what he's doing? He's playing the harp and writing poetry. I mean, this is the all-round best Tinder situation ever, isn't it? 
What's Tinder, Jared? I don't know. I just put the joke in, but I don't know what it is. But David actually writes a lot, like obviously about God. He, he loved God. He knew God. But he also writes about the soul. There's a lot of stuff about the soul. Your soul is invisible. You can't scan for it. If you've got a crook pancreas or something or spleen or carve or I don't know, I don't know how I've done that, but you can scan it. You can find it. With the soul, not so much. Um, however, we do see it and people around you see it. It's manifest all the time. We don't have cameras to find that, but in the metaphor, the concept being that really out of that soul is your life, my life. If the Hebrew word for soul that David uses, he actually says it's the self of the creation, created creature, a person. It's also known as our appetites. Really weird, eh? The mind, the living being, desire, emotion, passion the seat of our emotions and our passions. So the soul, and, and this is the same in Jewish culture as well, is sort of intertwined with the spirit as well. I know in our kind of West we like body, soul, spirit, but if you've ever seen someone deceased, you really just see a body left. There are very much, it's clear something's missing. So that, that spirit and soul is sort of the same thing, the soul of a person. And of course it has a spiritual nature to it. What does the soul impact then in our life, your life and my life? Everything. There's not a single thing it doesn't impact. Your sense of joy, optimism, capacity to laugh at yourself, uh, actually just laughing full stop, uh, to express sorrow, to create, to work, to be industrious, to dream comes from the soul how you view the world, how you view God, how you view yourself, how you view death, loss. David even said that his soul could get downcast at times and he would again and again learn to put his hope in God and therefore be upcast. And God, by nature, is a restorer of souls. That's, that's like his main business. God's the bringer of bracker, it's not a word, of your soul. Raising up your inner life, raising back your ability to deal with life. I mean, fundamentally, how you deal with life and you find life to deal with is really a matter of the soul. Sure, the mind, thinking, but it's the seat of those things. It's really that connected inner person. There's another person in you, your inner you, that's your soul. And one of the ways that your soul actually gets restored is what? Beside quiet waters, laying down in lush pastures. Unless you have hay fever, then you'd want to be standing or with uh, Telfast or whatever you take, you know? I think people forget that. I think um, Christians in the modern era forget that there is actually a place for the restoration of your soul. There's a place. Um, we'd imagine, of course, that God, he restores soul, but we don't always think about a place to meet God where our souls will be restored. In fact, for most of us, we check our bank balances, flip and check our power bills. I mean, seriously, it's not just inflation, it's teenagers. 
I've walked into more rooms with lights on recently. I say, hey, if you, oh, the other one is showers running, eh? I, I just stand out, as soon as they go in, they don't know, I just stand outside the store and door and start knocking. How long have you been in there? I just got in here. Liar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, we, and we might even now check our physical balances, our energies, and, and if you're into food and you're a particularly foodie type person, do you eat to live or live to eat? Which one are you? You live to eat and, or, you, or you replenish your body. You might have ways of measuring that. And I'm sure if you've got a job and you have KPIs and you have different indicators and things that you're tracking, but how do you track your soul? How's your soul? I mean, genuinely, I'm genuinely asking you, how is you? <laughs> the heart, your heart, your soul. Think about Jesus. Jesus here is a, is a man in touch with his soul. Practicing the way is basically trying to work through, okay, how does Jesus do life? How does Jesus deal with his soul? How does Jesus deal with people? And, 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 and you know, his kingdom come has got to have a place to land. And, and Jesus understood that. So I'm going to read you a short passage. It's out of Luke chapter 6. And it's got a phrase in it that is just paradoxically strange given the context of the story. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Man, that's awesome. Be clean. And immediately this leprosy, it's a serious disease of that time, actually left him. Then Jesus ordered, I don't want you telling anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet... This dynamic's really interesting. News is spreading about him all the more, and there are now crowds and crowds of people coming to hear him. Why? Because they too want to be healed of their issues, right? But Jesus often is withdrawing to lonely places to pray. Read the whole passage. You've got a need in your life, You've got a sick child. You've got a spouse who just needs a miracle. There's just stuff going on. And you're, you've heard about this Messiah who can answer it. And you're desperate. You're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You've got to know this was going on. And they'd come to his disciples. Where is he? Can, can we get to him? Can we get? Sorry, the master's eating. Sorry, the master's sleeping. And then in the morning, like they are queuing up like out at 185 Hope. That place right there, that's a revival. Unless you've got five hours to do bananas, oranges, and apples, don't go. Oh, no, you should. Have I just ruined them commercially? No, they'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, they turn up one morning, and, and where's Jesus? I need Jesus to get Jesus to help me. Jesus isn't here. And this was not a one-off if you search the Scripture. This is a regular pattern that he's nicked off somewhere, and they can't find him. And the disciples are like, where's Jesus? We don't know. And he just suddenly turns up. One time he did it, he did it sort of mid to late evening and they, he said, go across in the boat, you're going to go to this place. So they hopped in the boat and they went and then suddenly he's not with them, he's going to go pray and then he's walking on the water to come and find them. I mean, this is just fantastic. Like this is, this is the stuff that dreams are made of, but it's not very TikTok. It is, it is not very 2022. See, if you were that popular, if you were that much in demand, if you were that wanted, you would not be not giving the people what they want. 
And there's something inherently in us and in our souls that do this. We basically go wherever the demand is, go wherever the thing that we think is the answer is gonna be, and we miss the incredible win of what? Prioritizing a restored soul. Prioritizing the inner part of you. And Jesus, what is he doing? He is actually connecting with his father. He only has three years of ministry. And proportionately, using a lot of that time, just him and God, just him and God. He knew that, he said it was, apart from my father, I can do nothing. He said, I only do what he tells me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. So he's got this sense in his life. It's not about silence. It's not about solitude. It's about your soul. It is not about Eastern philosophies as the end game. It is not about doing religious duties and stuff. This is about what Jesus said this. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? You can live your whole life seemingly gaining everything that the world says is important and everything that you think is a win and yet lose the thing that is the most important thing. You, You can end up at a place in your life where you have nothing of worth on the inside of you. God doesn't want that for you. God does not want you losing your soul, losing the most precious thing. In contrast, Jesus has got the most overflowing soul. Now, I've just given a couple of examples of this that constantly and hugely merciful. Now, this is one way that you can tell how your soul is is how do you respond to people that hurt you or do wrong by you? Because at the end of the, correct, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, right, when we sin, we do hurt others, but we also hurt God. So here's God in the flesh. So all of those that he had either was rejected by or he knew their life, he knew what was up. How does he meet them? Mercy. Mercy. Grace on grace. Overflowing grace. As we heard, forgiveness you know, release, grace. How's that going? I find it a challenge. I I find letting things go. I I find holding on to things, that's pretty easy. But it's that thing, you know, it's that thing to actually just keep, even if they never said sorry, even if they never put it right. It's been commanded. I was on the way into church this morning, I was talking with a couple wonderful couple, about this whole dynamic now online. And it came up when I was thinking about it that this online community calling out a church sort of has interesting dynamics. I guess if things need calling out and dealing with, do it. But once it's called out, once you've raised it, once someone said, hey, yeah, we could do better and we're sorry, the only Christian response remaining is let it Go. Forgiveness. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, how will your heavenly Father forgive you? That's a huge, this is a lightweight message, isn't it? It's quite relaxing. <laughs> but Jesus, the, the, the strength of his soul was, here's the truth. You front up to that truth. Now here's the grace. Here's the mercy. This, this is out of his soul. What else? Um, even his last breath, Jesus, hanging on a cross, What does he say? Here's the the abundance of his soul. He says this, 
You've really stuffed up now, haven't you? No. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If that was me, I'd say this, Father, don't forgive them. They definitely know what they're doing. (laughs) Hey, and that's what you'd do too. No, Father, forgive them. And, And I'd also be like, hey, and also Gavin over there. Lord, Gavin, well, he used to be a follower of mine, but he left me and now he's here watching me die. Don't forgive him. And, and also that guy over there actually put the nails in so he can't be forgiven. No, Jesus, the, the abundance of his soul is just right till the last breath, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. Why? His soul is filled with love. How's your soul? Filled with love? Filled with love? Shall I close in prayer? That's enough challenge. <laughs> filled with love. That's, you know, that when we, t- when we talked earlier in the um, series about being formed into the image of Christ, formation, at what we practice daily is what we are formed into. So when you practice things like setting your soul right and having your soul restored and having your soul made new, that's what you're formed into. So what's the end goal? What's God's end goal with you? That you become love. That you become love. That you become... What, what, what happened when Peter, you know disappointed Jesus. What did Jesus do? Did he, he didn't make a speech. He made him breakfast. Less speeches, more breakfasts. That's how you win the world. But you're not making anybody breakfast. You know, you might make them a spotty or a hearing or something like that. No, that's a fishing joke. Don't worry. It didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Well, I'll give you a little fish, but no bread. Like you need to learn kind of a lesson. And I think that this is really, really vital because it's actually a plentiful soul. It's actually God's goal for you. A plentiful soul. One that is filled with life and peace and joy. The kingdom of God indwelling. A plentiful soul that's not rushed or anxious. Sounds so easy. A plentiful soul that is full of vision. If you read um, Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That's where my soul is restored. Then what's next? He leads me in paths of righteousness. So your entire life's purpose, because not only could Jesus say forgive them, but Jesus fully fulfilled his purpose. Do you know your purpose? Do you know why you're here? Do you know what you're meant to be doing? Let me tell you, it's a soul issue. It's actually a depth issue that you know what God is wanting from you, what God is wanting for you, that's where it comes from. There's a path of justice, a path of righteousness, a plentiful soul. I'm going to read you this. It's pretty interesting. Dallas, I guess you'll be the judge of that, won't you? Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, wrote this crazy situation because if your soul is restored, right, by quiet streams, by actual solitude with God, you listen to this. It takes 20 times more the amount of amphetamine to kill an individual mice than it takes to kill them in a group. So you want to kill some mice, you've got to use 20 times the amount of poison, in this case, amphetamine, to kill them. Experimenters also find that a mouse that was given absolutely no amphetamine at all is dead within 10 minutes of being placed in the midst of a group who are on the drug. In groups, they go off like popcorn or firecrackers. 
Western men and women, especially, talk a whole deal about being individuals. But our conformity to social pattern is hardly less remarkable than that of mice, he says, and yet just as deadly. So I know that we talk about it's not wise to get isolated. We want to be in community. We've got to be connected. Yes. <laughs> but even Jesus said there are going to be people in the end when they stand before him. When he says, you know, we cast out devils in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did this and that in your name. And what does he say at the end of it? Yes, but you never knew me. And I never knew you. It doesn't defunct public worship of God and the church and community. You know, in, in our era, we have such a narrow theology of what public church and corporate church is all about. When we're here together, there will be the odd person who needs their soul restored. But otherwise, we're here to actually serve and love and care for one another. In other words, we're giving out and here to worship God publicly. When you're on your own, that's where you connect with God and that's where he restores your soul. And when we don't do either of those, we find a big cross up, don't we? We find people who, not because of China's situation with persecution, the home church model, they were like, I just can't handle <laughs> groups. So what do they do? They go and do faith on their own and maybe on, I don't know, just, just that kind of like, isolated mechanism, but I've, I'm yet to meet a single person, a single person who's gone on and actually flourished. This is getting heavier by the minute. I don't honestly know what is going on with this message. I didn't even have that planned. And then you see the other flip side, which is there's, there's only public gathering, then we see just religious movement. We never really entered into God's presence. We never really sought him in the moment, in the meeting. We just were watching everyone else go on. And our faith can be at different modes and moments. We're on a journey. But I've got to encourage you that we cannot end up just crowded with people, right? Poisoned by the world. We've actually got to have moments and time. And this is actually what God is wanting to do. It says what? He restores. He restores my soul. That's God. That's his presence. Um, I want to just give a couple of practical thoughts on this because solitude is a really tricky place to manage if you don't actually understand it. I think, first of all, you've got to stop seeing it as a punishment. What happened at school when you were naughty? You go stand at the back of the class on your what? Own. Well, for me, I was sent outside of the classroom because I still found ways to distract in the corner. I got a lot of vitamin D in my upbringing, a lot. Here's how you get punished if you do bad things in prison, solitary confinement. One of the reasons that they do that is people hate to be left with their own thoughts, stuck in their own mind. That's hell for most people. And so we fill our lives with noise and activity and other people's expectations and really where you want to get to is how do you work out if you've got a good, your soul's in a good place? What's it like just being on your own? Just on your own. I'm not talking about listening to a podcast on your own. Personally, my soul's never been restored by listening to podcasts. I get inspired, educated, informed, knowledge, all that thing. But I don't get, I don't get restored either by listening to YouTubes. 
I remember actually when my mum passed away, um, it was a, obviously a journey to her passing away and the schedule was very unfortunate with this whole thing. And I had a few people checking up on me, so I just want to say that as a caveat. But I had to go to New Plymouth to preach and we didn't realise she was going to pass away so quickly. So I flew to Auckland to go see her when we kind of got news that she was potentially going to pass away. And then that next morning, that was on a Saturday, I jumped on the plane to New Plymouth and did three services and then flew back to Nelson and then we got a phone call that she'd died. So this was obviously, you know, things were kind of crazy and fluid. I, that was Monday, Tuesday. And then um, I flew up as soon as I got the text that morning that she passed away. I jumped on a plane an hour later, hour and a half later, and flew back up to Auckland um, where our family was and um, so forth. I remember um, that week and just thinking, I, I have shared it before, but just really interesting feelings, really interesting situation. If you've ever lost someone, you know what I'm talking about. But I just thought, in my spirit, I just thought, well, this is the opportunity, isn't it? To see if all this Bible stuff works. I wonder if my world's going to come caving down. I wonder if it's all going to implode. I wonder if, you know, I wonder if God can handle this. So probably the plane rides and also the drive out to where, you know, her body was and all those things in between all played into this. But any time that I had on my own, I just got the word. And over those, particularly the seven days in particular, every spare minute I had, the word, just word, the word, the word, the word. I got to a really unfortunate moment, scheduling-wise, Brent and Viv were going to be away, and we were starting a brand new series called God, Money and Me. We had the funeral on the Saturday, which my mum asked me to take, which I'm emphatically saying no more family funerals. I didn't enjoy it. I did it for her, but that was the only reason. And then by the Saturday finished, and we had to start on the Sunday morning, God, Money and Me. Brent goes, hey, don't worry about it. If, it's, if this is crazy time, I said, nah, we've got to do this because we'd put it in the schedule and we'd planned to give the the church, you know, this, this teaching. I remember our family, after the funeral, the family being around Saturday night. I remember about nine o'clock, I just said to Rebecca, I've got to go. Um, you can just, like, the rest of our siblings are there. I'm going to go. I got in the car, which is a, it's a rhythm, it's a practice. Saturday night, so I jump in my car and I go for a drive. Every Saturday night, 9.9 times out of 10. I just sat there unsure feeling a bit like, whoa, wonder if this is a good idea. wonder if preaching tomorrow on this new series is a good plan. I don't really know. Went to bed, woke up the next morning, and I did feel relatively drained. So what I did was, fortunately, I'd planned the series three or four weeks in advance for this because it was an important one. I had all the notes on my iPad. And so I woke up that next morning. I drank coffee, showered, that's where the details end. And then I hopped in my car again and I drove to Monaco. And I realise now I'm on the edge, Lord, of ridiculousness. What am I doing? Like, I don't, this is just out there. So I just didn't look at my notes at all. I thought, I'm not going there. I, this is not going to happen. And I just put my iPad aside and I just said, Lord, here I am. You have got to help me. 
I've got nothing. Thank you, Lord. And I sat silent, waited before the Lord. Looking at the clock, looking at the clock, drove to the church. I made a deal with Jared. I said, hey, I'm going to do this, but as soon as that service is done, I'm out of here, okay? He's like, yep, sweet. I got up here and it was like an anointing came upon my life. I don't know if it's recommended. I don't know if counsellors would suggest it's a good idea. I don't know what really to say about it other than this. This one thing, you ready? When you have a restored soul, when you have access to the Spirit of God, truly anything's possible. And it didn't harm me. It didn't hurt me. It didn't break me. It didn't wreck me. God carried me and carried me. And on the weeks and the months after that, and especially when I walked past and see her ashes in our house, that was terrible. He carried me. And God can carry you too. Why? He restores your soul. Religion doesn't. Doing lots doesn't. Impressing people doesn't. Why the heck are you trying to impress people anyway? So you've, got to, you've, got to, you've really got to think that through. That it's not a punishment. It's actually a huge opportunity. Um, I'll, I'll give that, we've got to finish. Can a musician come up? Isaac, come up. You've got to recognise, second of all, that this is your true hunger. For as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. My soul's always thirsting for the living God. You were told that. You believed that. That's the thing you hungered for the most, and you found it in Jesus. And you were told that, and you believed that. So why is it now that you're moving on from that? Why do you move on to the other things and the other things and the other things? It's because we're human. And we've got to come back again to actually my soul, when, when it's wanting this, this, and this, it's okay, it's cool. But what it truly hungers for most of all is the living God. And until you recognise that, right, you'll never get your life in order to actually recognise, oh, this is why this is happening in my life. This is why this is going on. I actually thirst for Him. Thirdly, you've got to organise yourself. So that's a picture of Psalm 23. There's obviously a place David goes to. I have some places, quiet streams. A, um, I've got a couple of routes. And it happened when I listened to Rick Warren who said, he couldn't sit in a room and have a quiet time in a dark room sitting. He'd always think about what else to do. So he started walking. As soon as I heard that, it set me free. thought, that's been my problem all along. So when I go spend time with God in silence and solitude, when it's just me and Him, I go walking. I do, I just go for a walk. Sometimes the music, sometimes not. Sometimes worshipping Him, sometimes thinking about the Word. I just, me and Him. You don't need a lot of it. You just need it. Four, know that He'll be there right away to meet you. For anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching, Jesus said, my Father will love them. And what's the big goal? He's coming to make our home with them. So that's the point of this whole message is this. Why we wanna be alone with God and why you wanna bring your soul before Him is because He's making a temple out of you. And there might be some things that He's gotta do, some stuff He's gotta work on that is gonna come no other way than just being you and Him. And we've got to go in expectation to know that you may not feel Him, you may not sense Him, 
but it doesn't actually change the truth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There, there you are in his presence, in the fullness of it. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are there any boys and girls here? Here's to a plentiful soul. Here's to not a soul that's run dry on the pressures of life. Life's draining. Parenting is draining. It's rewarding as well. Marriage is draining. It's rewarding as well. Hey, come on. Running that business is draining. It's rewarding too. But you know what David said? I'd love to be even just a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. And he was king. Why? Because his presence will satisfy you. Now, you know it's true. What are you willing to do this week about it? Just micro moments like I talked about last week. Just times. And listen, if you're like, yeah, 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 I love solitude. That's where I do my best work. Not what I'm talking about. Like I'm doing all the gardening. No, not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you being able to be there with God. A walk, a moment, a time, even to not spout off speeches, religious rhetoric, just you and Him. And you'll just be amazed at what He can do. So this is how I want to finish the service. Um, I actually want to take a moment to pray for people. And so I'm going to ask everybody, if you wouldn't mind, could everyone just stand to their feet for a moment, please? Um, and, and this is what I want to do online as well. Um, it's just a moment in time. The worship team can come on. And I just want to actually ask um, for everybody. Mark and Liz, you're still here. I thought you went to America. Are you going soon? Good to hear you asked your son-in-law to do his lawns. I was quite happy to hear that, to do your lawns. And listen, if you get photo updates and you're not happy, you just call on me. I just I think that a plentiful lawn and a plentiful soul go hand in hand. probably the weirdest moment of the morning to be honest sorry we're going to pray for each other for each other if you're new and you're brand hey Selwyn how you doing man good to see you and Debbie and family one family (laughs) oh and others yeah good to have you guys here my real prayer today is that you're not only here I guess a an invitation to do some things with God, a rhythm with God. You know, I don't know how you're going to do this and work it out, but you're going to, you want to work it out, you know, explore it. But I really wanted people to walk away just with a richness in here. So the only way to do that right now is just to ask God for it. Because I just feel like there are some people and you're just running on fumes. And others of you, you're just running sort of on rhythms of life. And yeah. You don't realise, but it's about to be overdrawn. You don't want that. And others of you just, God wants to take you to even deeper places. So if husbands and wives, you want to do this or um, individuals, that's fine. But if you're new, brand new here and you're standing next to someone and, and you're like, I don't know how to pray, just let them know, hey, I'm here for the first time today and that person is just going to pray for you, okay? So that's how we'll do it online. If you're watching by online, I want you to do the same, but I want you to do this for your family. So all of the people in your house or your extended family, that's what I want you to do. And we're just going to take a couple of moments and I'll tell you when, it's, when we're going to stop. But I'm going to, we're going to split it and I'll give you the notification in the middle of where you change over. But I want you to pray for someone in your row right next to you. Peer up. And I just want you to begin to pray into their life that God would just restore, enrich, 
overflow with power and grace. And if you're being prayed for, I just want you to be like a sponge, okay? Just open and hungry. Why? Because my soul hungers for the living God. That's what I hungers for. So off you go. Come on, go ahead, right down the back, right over here as well. Let's just pray for one another. Find someone. I just want you to pray for a plentiful, abundant soul. We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz. 